Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Today we're going to, again, look at this question in Romans chapter 5. Are you in the first Adam or are you in the second Adam? In other words, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Very, very important question as we look at the basis of justification. What is the basis of justification? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? I want to start off by telling you a story. There was, one day there was a woman who took her husband to the doctor's office. After his checkup, the doctor said, Your husband is suffering from a very serious infection. The husband, who was hard of hearing, said, What did he say? His wife said, He says you're sick. The doctor went on, But the doctor said, but there is hope. Don't worry, there is hope. You just need to reduce his stress each morning, give him a healthy breakfast, be pleasant to him, be very, very nice to him, and be kind to him. And for lunch and dinner, make him all of his favorite meals. Just give him everything he wants. I mean, don't discuss any problems with him. He can't have any stress all, you just have to say everything nice and everything he wants to hear. You know, don't, don't discuss your problems. And then if you do that, you know, his stress will go away and he'll start to feel better. Oh, and by the way, don't yell at him and certainly don't argue with him because that might raise his stress levels. And most importantly, you just need to cater to your husband's every whim. Whatever he wants, you do it. Got it? And if you can do this for your husband for the next year, I think your husband will have a complete recovery. And the husband said, what did he say? And his wife says, he says you're going to die. In case you don't get that story. The wife realized there is no possible way that I can do what the doctor just said to do. And so, that's why she said you're going to die. And the reality is, my friends, as we've, as we've looked at in, in Romans 5 here, the reality is we're all going to die. We all have this serious infection, if you will, and it's called inherited guilt. Some theologians call it original sin. And it has come from our father, the first Adam. So we're all going to die unless the, the rapture happens first. Physically, we're going to die. But hopefully, my friend, you know for sure that you're not going to die eternally, which is a far more important issue. I'm so happy that Jesus Christ always gives hopes to sinners like me and like you, unlike this poor wife of this husband (laughs) wasn't willing to give her husband any hope. The doctor was trying to give hope, but she wasn't willing to give that hope. But Jesus Christ always gives hope to sinners, even though we have a very 
uh, infectious disease that is, that is going to kill us, that is killing us, that has killed us. Last week we saw our problem. Our problem is we've inherited guilt and we've also inherited corruption as a result of Adam's sin, which will ultimately lead us to the physical death, uh, unless, again, the rapture happens first, and then ultimately to the worst kind of death, which is eternal death in the lake of fire. So as we look at this, we need to ask the question, well, who is infected? I hope, based upon last week, you, you, <laughs> that question was answered in Romans 5, verse 12, I hope. Who is infected? Look at Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus, and the, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. So we're all infected with this disease called sin. You have inherited guilt through your father Adam. We get this infection simply by being born. Uh, Just like, sadly, so many babies today are born with the HIV virus. Uh, It's a horrible thing. Millions and millions of people today, particularly in Africa, it's horrible in Africa what's going on there. Uh, That HIV virus, many babies are born with that. And just like your hair color and your eye color are inherited, you also inherit sin. You think about that. We often talk about when we have children or a friend of yours or a family member of yours has children, you you often end up talking about, well, you know, well, you look at the facial features of that child and you think, oh, he's got your eyes and your nose and your lips, you know, or your grandmother's this or your grandfather's this, right? we, We often talk about that. We inherit those the issues of our body from our parents and our grandparents. Guess what? You inherited sin from your your great, 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 whatever, you know, grandfather Adam. We get this infection simply by being born. And by the way, this sin, this singular big S sin, is what causes us to commit the little s sins. The big sin, uh, capital S sin, is that sin we were born with because of what Adam and Eve did when they committed the little sin, so to speak. And by little sin, I don't mean it was, it was insignificant, because it was, it was world-changing significant. But because of sin, well, then we inherit this guilt. The bad news is that you can do absolutely nothing to help yourself. We can do nothing. You can't, uh, it's not like, uh, you know, some other infectious disease where you might be able to take penicillin or some other kind of medication to, to help yourself with that disease. You can't get rid of sin in your own strength, in your own way. You can't try to live a holy life on your own. That's one of the points that the Apostle Paul is making here in Romans. You can't fulfill the law. Only Christ did that. You, there, there, you, you can't keep the law. You can't go to any kind of a surgeon and have him cut out this infection. The only solution is to go to the great physician, Jesus Christ himself. The great physician is the only one who can help you. And so we go to him. and We need to ask, uh, well, is there a cure for this fatal infection? Or are we doomed to die? We saw that last week in Romans 5.12, hey, we, 
you know, because of sin, death has entered into this world, and it's, this world is, is just pop-marked everywhere with graves and tombs. They're everywhere. And it is one of those things we're assured of unless the rapture is going to happen. So my friend, I have good news for you today. You don't have to die. You don't have to die. There is a cure and there is a remedy, but you know there really is no good news until we look at the bad news first, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit has done for us here. He showed us the problem. He showed us the bad news in verse 12. I'll remind you what Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. That's the problem. And we solved that problem last week. So today, let's zoom in and focus in on the, the solution to that problem. And the solution is really two points, okay? So I, I hope that you walk away with here, at least with this stuck in your head. If you get nothing else today, at least get this twofold, twofold solution to this horrible problem of sin. The solution is, number one, found in God's free grace. The solution is found in God's, or not, sorry, it's found in God's free gift. If you look at verse 15, we looked at the problem in verses 12 through 14, right? Last week. But look what happens in the very next verse. In verse 15, it says, But, I love those words, but. Whenever they show up in Scripture, hey, you ought to sit up and take notice of them, my friends, because they are showing you a contrast. They are showing you a contrast to the bad news or the problem in verses 12 through 14. But verse 15 says, but, but, here comes the contrast. You had the bad news, now here's the good news. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So the solution is found in God's free gift. By the way, when you think about that, all, all gifts are free, right? If you have to pay for something, is it a gift? <laughs> I mean, if I walked up to David here and I said, uh, you know, David, you know, I have a gift for you. I'd like to give you a brand new Hummer. Here are the keys to your brand new Hummer. It's, it's metallic black. I mean, this has cool mags, awesome tires, great sound system, leather seats, heated seats, adjustable seats. I mean, it has, it has everything, and it's yours. Uh, but that, that'll just cost you $1,000 a month for the next 30 years of your life. Is that a gift? No, that's not a gift. If, if he has to pay for it, right, it's not a gift. But notice this gift is free, as it says in verse 15. It's a, it is a free gift. It's not, Jesus, it's not J- Jesus Christ and his work plus my works. It's only Jesus Christ's work that has paid the penalty for your sin. Only. Jesus paid for it. You don't have to pay for it. But if I walked up to David and I said, David, i got a brand new Hummer for you here. Just take the keys and it's yours. It's parked out there. Go, go have a great time. And I don't make him pay for it. That's, that's different, isn't it? 
That's exactly, in a sense, what Christ has done for us spiritually. All we have to do is, is believe. David may not believe me. He might think I'm pulling his leg and say, oh, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, Pastor Scott doesn't have any money to buy any Hummer. How could he possibly give me a Hummer for free? Jesus Christ owns everything, right? He created it all. He can do as he wishes, and he did. And he came and paid the penalty for sin, and he gives us that free gift. Well, this free gift is wonderful, and this passage tells us a little bit, just a little bit of of what God's free gift does for us. Number one, God's free gift releases us from spiritual bankruptcy. It releases us from spiritual bankruptcy. It makes us going from absolute spiritual poverty to the one who is an enemy of God, the one who has sin, to the one who is now the Son of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right? He he owns everything. He made it all. It's all His. And He is worthy of all praise. And and the Bible says that that in in Romans chapter 8, in fact, we are adopted into the family of God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ becomes our brother. And we become part of God's family because of Jesus Christ. And we receive all the rights and the privileges as an adopted son would. So God's gift releases us from spiritual bankruptcy, but number two, God's gift releases us from guilt. It releases us from guilt. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So we're going from one who has this inherited guilt, the one who stands condemned before a holy God, and now we're, what are we? We are now justified, as verse 16 says. We now have this right standing before God. So yes, you inherited guilt from your father Adam. But through justification by faith alone in Christ alone, through grace alone, you now have a totally different standing. And you are no longer guilty. Number three, God's free gift releases us from bondage to death. It releases us from bondage to death. The bad news that we, we, this horrible problem we saw is that sin entered the world and death through sin and, and then death spread to all men because all sinned. But this gift releases us from bondage to death. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has conquered death. When He arose from the grave, you now have the assurance that if you die, you will one day rise as well. Because Christ conquered death. He destroyed the work of Satan. He destroyed Satan, even His power. We are free from that bondage to death. 
well, if this good news is too good for you to, to believe, well then, the Holy Spirit kind of repeats the same idea in verses 18 and 19. If you're thinking, well, you know, it, can I really believe this? Is, this? is this true? I mean, this is almost too good to be true, isn't it? You think about this, well, you get, the, you, you, get it, you get it packaged in a little different package, but it's essentially the same message in verses 18 and 19. And in fact, what, what word starts verse 18? Therefore. What's that therefore? Well, it's therefore because of the preceding context. So look at verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation... Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So the same idea, same message, packaged in a little different wording, if you will. Well, the the first part of that solution there was God's free gift, right? We saw that in verse 15 through 17. Well, how does does God's free gift come? Well, Romans 5 tells us how God's free, free gift comes to us. Does it come to us because we earn it? Does it come to us because we merit God's favor? No. The... Second of all, we see here the solution is found in God's grace. It's found in God's grace. What is grace? Grace is God's enabling. It's, it's God giving to us which we do not deserve. Some people like to describe grace with that anacronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. And all those things are certainly true. And grace is what made the free gift possible here. Grace is what made it possible now, what can we learn about God's grace from this passage? Because we saw that, if you look at verse 15, the end of verse 15, it says that the gift, it says, and the gift, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So the free gift comes because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So the solution to our horrible problem of sin, which leads to death, well, the solution is, God's grace, and from God's grace, we get the free gift of eternal life. So what can we learn about God's grace from this passage? Well, first of all, we see that God's grace is supplied abundantly. God's grace is supplied abundantly. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Oh, that is good news, my friend. That God's grace is supplied abundantly. When God finally gave the law, think about this. When God finally gave the law, it was so that the guiltiness of sin might become apparent. In fact, Paul's going to say later on in Romans, how would I know what sin is if it wasn't for the law? I think that's in Romans 7. How would I know what coveting is, for example, if God hadn't told me not to covet? How would I know not to steal if God hadn't told me not to steal? How would I know not to lie if, you know, how would I know about these things? Unless you study God's nature again, if you know God's nature, well then you know those things are against his nature. So God's grace is supplied abundantly here. But the law shows us our guilt. 
It shows us that we can't keep the law. It shows us it's impossible to keep the law. But then at once, what did he do? He showed his grace. His unmerited favor to guilty sinners like me and you. Now, have you ever noticed those who have sinned the most flagrantly, the most openly, those who have sinned like in God's face, so to speak, are often the most conscious of what this abundant supply of God's grace really means. I've noticed that. Uh, I love reading church history, for example. And even you see this truth in the Bible, for example, even with the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul realized that he was a flagrant, in-your-face sinner. In fact, he openly went around persecuting Christians, remember? But it was the Apostle Paul who said that he was the chief of sinners. He admitted, I am the chief of sinners. I think of also, it was, uh, and by the way, that's exactly why John Bunyan, who wrote the second greatest book of all time, The Pilgrim's Progress, that's why he titled another one of the books he wrote, his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. John Bunyan recognized that he was a sinner. In fact, he was a chief sinner. And he had the, the wonderful attitude that we all ought to have that I am the worst sinner that I know. And if you don't have that attitude, you need to pray for that attitude. To recognize, hey, I am the worst sinner I know because I am. And you ought to have that same attitude. And that's why he wrote Grace, his autobiography called it Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. That's why the former slave trader turned pastor John Newton wrote that amazing hymn called Amazing Grace. And in Amazing Grace, as we just sung about, he was able to say these wonderful truths. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. How could somebody write that? Unless they realize, first of all, that they were a sinner in God's sight and deserved condemnation, but he realized that God's grace abounded more. And that was the theme of John Newton's life as he became a pastor. Uh, a great theme that he often preached about was God's grace. So we see that God's grace is, is abounding. It is abounding to those of us who are sinners. But number two, God's grace is absolutely sovereign. It is absolutely sovereign. Look at verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is sin powerful? Yeah, it's very powerful. It reigns over us. In fact, before you became a Christian, you could do nothing else except sin. It was the only thing you could do. There is nothing you could do that was pleasing in God's sight before you became a Christian. And so death reigned. But praise God, God is more powerful. His grace is more powerful. In fact, it is absolutely sovereign. Nothing can stand in the way of God's grace. Eternal life through Jesus Christ is something that is, is assured. It is, it is a, an eternal hope. 
eternal security, my friend, really is eternal. Now, how is it possible for God to save sinners in the person of Jesus Christ? How is that possible? Because, I mean, that's, that, that is an amazing truth, that God can save sinners, and God wants to save sinners, and God does save sinners. But you have to remember, my friends, God is just, God is holy, and God does not overlook sin. So how, does this, how is this accomplished? Now, we understand that somehow Christ took our place on the cross. But how was such a substitution possible? How could the sinless Savior, the sinless Son of God, the one who had never sinned, actually make atonement for your sin? How could he be your substitutionary atonement? Well, Paul answered the question in this section here in Romans 5. And these verses are are really the, the very heart of the letter and to understand these verses, there's, there's a, fr- a few general truths about this section that we need to understand first of all, okay? Let me just point out a few things to you. If, you. if you haven't observed this carefully, you need to take note of these things. Whenever you see things uh, repeated often in a passage, sit up, take notice of those. They're important. First of all, note the repetition of that little word, one. That little word, one. It's used 11 times in this passage. The, uh, the key idea here is our identification with Adam and with Christ. Who are you identified with? And that's why I started with the question, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Second, note the repetition of the word rain. And I'm not talking about the, that water stuff that comes out of the sky here, okay? I'm talking about R-E-I-G-N, rain. The sort of thing that that kings would do, and the thing that Jesus Christ is doing now. Note that repetition of the word rain, used five times, and Paul saw two men here. He's contrasting these these two men. We have Adam and we have Christ. We have the first Adam and we have the second Adam. Now each of them are reigning over a, a kingdom here. What is the kingdom? Well, they're different, not the same. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Finally, note that the phrase much more is repeated five times here. Much more. Important words. Because as Paul, through the Holy Spirit, proceeds to contrast the first Adam with Jesus Christ, you see those words much more several times. In other words, the point is this, my friends. Jesus Christ is better. Jesus Christ is better. Yeah, Adam, he did a bad thing, right? And... and the result and the consequences of what Adam did are powerful and are lasting, but much more the second Adam, Jesus Christ, more powerful. It's better with eternal results to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So we've gained much more than we ever lost in Adam. We lost a lot, my friends. We lost a lot. Read the curses in Genesis as a result of sin. But in Jesus Christ, we've gained far more. So here's the point. Let me just summarize it. In short, this section here is really a contrast between Adam and Christ. Contrast between Adam and Christ. So I want to take that idea and run with that for a moment, okay? We're going to look at all of these contrasts throughout this passage that the Holy Spirit is showing us here to show us that you want to be in Christ, Because Christ is far better, the results are better, the consequences are better, 
And, and you gain far much more in Christ than you ever lost in Adam. So are you with me? That's the idea here. Adam was given dominion over the old creation. Remember that? Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2 shows us that. He was given dominion over the old creation. He, he sinned, though, didn't he? And he lost his kingdom. He was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, never to return again. And because of Adam's sin, all mankind, the Bible says, is under condemnation. We're all under death, Romans 5.12 says. Christ came, though. He is king, prophet, priest, and king. And God is king over this new creation we read about in 2 Corinthians. On the screen here, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So which creation are you in? Are you in the new or the old? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? The answer to that question, my friend, has eternal consequences. Well, as we see in this passage here, by Christ's obedience on the cross, he brought in righteousness and justification. Christ not only undid all of those damages that Adam's sin affected, but he accomplished much more by making us the very sons of God. The very sons of God. Dwell on that truth, my friends, this week. Dwell upon the truth of what does it mean to be adopted into God's family? What does that mean for me? Dwell upon that. Think about all the rights and the privileges you have if you have been adopted into his family. One of the best things you can meditate upon. Well, skeptics sometimes ask the question, well, was it fair for God to condemn the whole world just because of one man's disobedience? Was that fair? And the answer, of course, is that it was not only fair, but it was also something that was wise and gracious. Does God ever do anything unwise? No. God is a gracious God. And it was unfair for for us to receive Christ's righteousness through one man. That was unfair. It was unfair for Christ to die on the cross for your sins. That was unfair. And so if God had tested each human being individually, guess what? The result would have been the same. Disobedience. Disobedience would would have been the same result. Well, each of us is racially united to Adam, the Bible says, so that his deeds affect our deeds. His life has affected our life, and we see an example of of how this works out in in Hebrews chapter 7, okay? I want you to look at these these two verses in Hebrews chapter 7. You can see how, how Hebrews 7 is an example of this racial headship, if you will, that, that is, a, is a, a good example of what has happened uh, from Adam to us, okay? Look at this, Hebrews 7. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, in case you're lost at this point, let me try to explain that. Okay, think chronologically here. Who came first, Levi or Abraham? Abraham obviously came first, chronologically speaking. Abraham's the father of the Israelites. He is the father of the nation of Israel. You remember Levi 
was one of those tribes in the, in the nation of Israel. So obviously Abraham came first. Levi wasn't even born yet. And so we see an example here where Hebrews chapter 7 is showing this racial headship in Abraham. Levi is paying tithes to Melchizedek. How is he paying tithes to Melchizedek? He's not even alive. He's paying tithes to Melchizedek through his father Abraham. That's the, that's the point. And so we see that racial headship there. That is showing us a spiritual example of how you sinned in Adam. While you weren't alive when Adam was alive, obviously, right? You sinned in Adam because you were in the loins of Adam. My friends, do you see that? So if we say, it's not fair, I wasn't alive, I didn't sin, Adam did. You were in the loins of Adam. Just as Levi was in the loins of Abraham when he paid tithes to Melchizedek. So there's a a New Testament example of that. So our final question we're going to look at here, before we look at the contrast, is how do we know that we are racially united to Adam? How do we know that? How do we know we are are racially united to Adam? Well, that answer is found, as we looked at last week, in Romans 5, verses 12 through 14. And the argument runs something like this. We know that all men die, but death is a result of disobeying the law. Uh, There was no law from Adam to Moses, but men still die. That's the argument there. So a general result here is obviously demanding a general cause. The general result is what? All people die, right? We all die, so that means we're all sinners. So what's the cause? Well, it can be only one thing. It's the disobedience of Adam. That's the cause. In Adam, all die. So when Adam sinned, he ultimately died, and all of his descendants died. We saw that last week, Genesis 5, remember? What was the one common phrase in Genesis 5 in the genealogy? This guy lived, you know, so many years, and he died. This guy lived so many years, and he died. The point is, we die. They just got to live a lot longer than we do. But the point is, we all die. So, they died because of Adam's sin, Romans says, for all have sinned. That means that all have sinned in Adam's sin. You sinned in Adam's sin. So, you can't sit here and say, well, that's not fair. (laughs) Because it is fair. God does what is fair. Men do not die because of their own acts of sin. Otherwise, uh, babies wouldn't die, would they? Babies don't sin. But yet many babies die, right? They're not dying because of their own sin. Why do babies die? They die because they have inherited guilt. Because they're born a sinner. That's why babies die. Men die because we are united to Adam, racially speaking. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, In Adam all men die. So having understood these, these general truths about this passage here, Uh, Now we can examine the contrast, okay? Let's look at some of these contrasts quickly here uh, between Adam and Christ and between Adam's sin and Christ's act of obedience on the cross. Okay, I'm just going to quickly fly through these, okay? Uh, you uh, You can meditate upon these deeper later on if you wish. First of all, we see Adam's trespass 
is contrasted with Christ's free gift. Adam's trespass is contrasted with Christ's free gift. Look at verse 15. We've already talked about the free gift. We see that the free gift is not like the offense. Praise God! It's not like the offense. It's not like Adam's sin. It's different. This is a contrast. And because of Adam's trespass, many died. But because of Christ's obedience, there's a totally different result here, isn't there? The the, the result is is the grace of God abounds to many, and it brings life instead of death. Adam brought death. Christ brings you life. What a wonderful contrast. The grace of Christ brings not only physical life, but also spiritual life and abundant life. Isn't that what Christ said? In John 10, verse 10, what did Christ say in John 10, 10? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you want abundant life? Abundant life is only found through Christ. So that's the first contrast we see here in this passage. The second one is the effect of Adam's sin is contrasted with the effect of Christ's obedience. So we see all these various contrasts going on throughout the passage here, and it's showing us again that we gain far more in Jesus Christ than we ever lost in Adam. So Adam's sin, what did that bring? It brought judgment it brought condemnation but what did christ bring what did his obedience bring christ's work on the cross brings our right standing before god that's justification justification is is it god now looks at us just as if we had never sinned he sees christ's righteousness instead of our sin and so when a, tr- a sinner trusts christ he is justified he's declared righteous in christ He is put literally in Christ. So the effect is different as well. But uh, number three, the reigns are contrasted here. The two reigns are contrasted in verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So, do you see the contrast there? Because of Adam's disobedience, what reigned? Death reigned. Death reigned. If you read the book uh, again, uh, those those generations in Genesis chapter 5, and you go throughout the book of the, uh, the entire Bible, what happens to people? I mean, everybody except Enoch and Elijah, what happened to them? They died, right? Romans 5, verse 14, Paul argued that men did not die from Adam to Moses for the same reason that that Adam died for the law had not yet been given. The wages of sin is death. That's why people die. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23 says. And so because sin was reigning in men's lives, death was also reigning. Why does death reign? Why is death the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world until Christ conquered death? It's because of sin. But the contrast here is that uh, in Jesus Christ we enter a new kingdom. Romans 14, 17 says this. Listen to this. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, 
but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, being justified by faith, we are declared righteous, we have peace with God, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of that one who is Jesus Christ. Now, in Adam, we lost our kingship. Excuse me, God gave us the right to rule. But in Jesus Christ, we reign as kings as well. <laughs> when that kingdom comes, you will, uh, if you're a Christian, you will reign with Jesus Christ. Under him, of course, but you will also get to reign. But we reign much more, as it says here, much more than we did even in Adam. It's even better. So our spiritual reign is far greater than Adam's earthly reign ever was. Because if you look at Romans 5, verse 17, it says that we share abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. It's abundant. Well, there's a lot of contrast here. Let's look at the next one in verses 18 and 19. We see that the two one acts are are contrasted here. There's different acts that are going on here. Uh, In verses 18 and 19, uh, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So, what's going on here? Well, Adam did not have to commit a series of sins, did he? How many sins did Adam have to commit before One, right? It mentions that here. One act. In one act, God tested Adam, right? God let Adam do whatever he wanted in the Garden of Eden. Except one thing, right? There was one command. He said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Adam do? Did he pass the test or fail it? He failed the test, right? And as it's termed here, it's termed an offense. It's an act of disobedience against God. That word offense means a trespass. It's a crossing over the line. It's like on some properties, right? What What do people put up on their properties sometimes, right? No trespassing, right? And and some people even go so far as to say violators will be shot, (laughs) or or prosecuted, or whatever. No trespassing. What does that mean? When somebody has those signs along their property or on their fence, what does that mean? You're not supposed to go past that line or past that fence. But that's exactly what what is, is being said here. Adam crossed over the line. He trespassed. God told Adam how far he could go. You know, you may eat of every tree in the garden, but except that one. What did Adam do? He crossed the line and he trespassed. Adam decided that he wanted to go beyond God's appointed limit. But in contrast to that, the trespass of the one is the righteousness of one. The righteousness of the one, who's that one? Jesus. What was his righteousness? It was that righteous work that he performed for us on the cross. In Romans 5.19, Paul calls it the obedience of one. Now, what does all this have to do with us? (laughs) Now, I want to make sure you're not missing the point here, okay? Because it's very easy for us to sit here sometimes. We look at the Bible and we say, you know, that, that was a long time ago. What does that have to do with me? It has a lot to do with you. 
Because God sees us as in one of two persons. You're either in Adam or you're in Jesus Christ. There is no other option. You're in Adam or you're in Christ. In Adam, God sees us as sinners, but in Christ, God sees us as righteous. Now, what do we have to to do to be in Adam? Well, that's easy. (laughs) You don't have to do anything to be in Adam. You just have to be born. If you're born, guess what? You're in Adam. What do you have to do to be in Christ? Only trust Him. All you have to do is trust Him. It's by faith alone. Well, I think an illustration might help you out here at this point, okay? In case you're still not getting the point, let me give you an illustration I think will be helpful. Uh, there was a criminal that, that was uh, locked up in the state penitentiary. I don't know what state this was necessarily in. But anyway, he was soon to be execu- uh, executed in this particular state for the sin of murder. His story received an uncommon amount of publicity because he had willed that his cornea, which is in your eye, uh, that, that, a part of his eye, it, it, was, it was to be used in what was then a very new procedure of corneal transplant where they would take that cornea out of his eye and they would put it in the eye of, of a, uh, a guy who couldn't see because his cornea was, was not working properly. Well, the recipient was designated prior to the criminal's execution. And indeed, the two men met before the execution was actually carried out. Well, in due time, the murderer was put to death. His cornea was taken from his body after his death, and it was transplanted into the eye of a blind man who couldn't see. Now, suppose if some policeman had tried to arrest that man who received the cornea and and have him executed because he had the cornea from a murderer. Well, what would any uh, wise judge, any proper-thinking judge would say, but that cornea, which formerly was, was in the body of a murderer, is now in the body of a man who is righteous before the law. This man hasn't done anything unrighteous before the law. He is not guilty. Therefore, the cornea is as righteous as that man is. Because the man's righteous, his cornea is also righteous. And that, you know, that really illustrates, in, in a way, not as well as I would like it to, but it illustrates, in a way, what, what's going on here in Romans 5. It illustrates how I was in Adam, and how I was condemned to die because I sinned when Adam sinned. But by a miracle that is far greater than any surgery that could take place, such as a corneal transplant, I was placed in Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, you were placed in Jesus Christ. And now I am righteous because Jesus Christ is righteous. And now I have this right standing before God the Father because Jesus Christ has a right standing before God the Father. Because He's holy, now He looks at me as holy and righteous. And that is the story of every Christian by the miracle of God's grace. By the miracle of God's grace and this free gift, this comes to us. Well, let's skip over. There's a pass. I was going to look at Philippians chapter 2, but let's skip over that for the moment. 
Well, Christ's sacrifice on the cross did amazing things for us that we do not deserve. And on the cross, it not only made possible justification, that right standing before God, but also justification of life. Did you notice that? The end of Romans 5 here? It's justification of life. Justification is not merely a legal term that describes our position before God, but it results in a certain kind of life. It is justification of life, as verse 18 says. Look at the end of verse 18. Resulting in justification of life. (laughs) That's a wonderful, wonderful way to put it. Justification of life, it's, it's a parallel idea to that he made us righteous in verse 19. Verse 19 says that God made us righteous. That's a similar idea. In other words, what I'm trying to say, my friends, is that our justification is the result of our living union with Christ. It's a living union. It is a relationship. And this union ought to result in a new kind of life. It it ought to result in a new life of obedience to God. That's why, as we looked at in 2 Corinthians... Behold, that old is passing away, and behold, all things become new. My friend, if, if you call yourself a Christian, if you claim to have this new standing in Christ, and you're not living the fruits of repentance, as John the Baptist called them, if you're not living a life that is pleasing to God, if your life is the same today as it was before you're a Christian, well, then there's something wrong there. You still have the old life. You don't have the new life. We need to be careful that that we don't think we're something when we're not really something. See, our union with Adam made us sinners, but our union with Christ enables us to reign in life. And so because of Christ and His work, then you and I can sing Horatio Spafford's uh, great hymn, It Is Well. Here's what he said. Notice these words. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well. It is well with my soul. Why is it well with my soul? How how can I stand here and rightfully sing that? Because I'm a sinner. I was born in sin because of Adam. How can I sing that? Because my sin was nailed to the cross. Christ was my substitutionary atonement. He took my place. And now I am in Him. Well, let's look at, uh, quickly, uh, one more contrast here. Law and grace are contrasted. Law and grace are contrasted here in verses 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, here's my point, friends. Grace, or in other words, the good news doesn't look so good news until you know the bad news. Do you know the bad news? Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that you inherited guilt and corruption as a result of Adam's sin? So, law and grace are contrasted here, but 
Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned to death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the law came in, but grace is more powerful. Grace is abounding much more. Grace was a part of God's plan from the very beginning, my friends. God dealt with Adam and Eve in grace. He dealt with those patriarchs in grace. God dealt with the prophets in grace. God dealt with the nation of Israel in grace. He gave the law through Moses not to replace His grace, but to reveal our need for grace. How do you know you need grace? The law shows us that. The law was temporary, but grace is something that's eternal. So, law made our sin increase. God's grace abounded even more. I love that, uh, that hymn that Ira Sankey wrote. Here's how it goes. I don't know how it's sung, but anyway, here's, a, here's how the, the, his hymn goes. Have you on the Lord believed? Still there's more to follow. Of His grace have you received? Still there's more to follow. Oh, the grace the Father shows. Still there's more to follow. Freely He His grace bestows. Still there's more to follow. More and more and more and more. Always more to follow. Oh, His matchless, boundless love. Still there's more to follow. My friends, God's grace is abounding to chief of sinners like you and like me. God's grace, I I like to describe it like this. It's kind of like the Niagara Falls. I don't know how much you know about the Niagara Falls. Let me just tell you a little bit about them. Aaron's going to show you, I think, three different pictures of the Niagara Falls. The Niagara Falls are a a voluminous waterfall. It's a group of waterfalls, actually, on the Niagara River, and it straddles uh, the international border between Ontario, Canada, and the state of New York. There is more than 6 million cubic feet, and you're wondering what that is in meters. That is 168,000 cubic meters of waterfall that is going over that crest line every minute. Every minute, that's at high flow anyway. 168,000 cubic meters every minute at high flow. Yes, it is the most powerful waterfall in North America. You see some wonderful pictures here. That's just part of it. Uh, It's the highest... Uh, the highest part of the fall drops 173 to 170 feet, three feet or 53 meters. Uh, the larger of the falls, the Horseshoe Falls, uh, just that part of it alone is 2,600 feet or 790 meters wide. It's it's an amazing waterfall. I've been there myself, and even before you get to it, you can feel it. You feel its presence. You feel the ground shaking. You. You, you see the mist coming out. You hear the roar of the water. It just feels like an unstoppable force. And that's the way God's grace is. Nothing can stand in the way of God's grace. It is, it, it, it's not like some little trickle of water uh, that, that I'm probably going to get when I go to the Solomon Islands you know, and try to take a shower. No, this is not some little trickle of water that you, you hope you get enough to take a shower with. It, this, is, this is a blast that is far more than you could ever, ever need. It is absolutely sovereign because God is sovereign. Eternal security really is something that is eternal. You have this blessed hope and this glorious assurance. 
In Romans 5, verse 14, Adam is called a type of him that is to come. Who was the one that, that, that came? Well, Adam was a picture of Jesus Christ. Adam came from the earth, but Jesus Christ is the Lord from heaven, the creator of the universe. Adam was tested in the garden, surrounded by beauty, surrounded by a, a wonderful relationship and communion with God. But Jesus was tempted in a wilderness, and he died on a cruel cross, surrounded by hatred and, and ugliness. Adam was a thief and was cast out of paradise, but Jesus Christ, he turned to that thief one day on the cross, and he said to that thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. The Old Testament is the book of the generations of Adam. Do you know how the book, the Old Testament, that old covenant, the old agreement ends? Do you know the very last verse in the Old Testament ends with a curse? It ends with destruction, some translations say. The old covenant, that old agreement, ends with a curse. Do you know how the New Testament ends? See, in the old covenant, in the old agreement, promises were made, but in the new covenant, in the new agreement, promises are kept. In the New Testament, Revelation 22, verse 3 says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, and it ends with these words, no more curse. <laughs> I love that. No more curse. No more curse. Because Jesus Christ conquered the curse, my friends. And so I bring you back to the question, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? You can't help being in Adam because you're born in Adam. You just have to be born and you're in Adam. That came by your first birth. And obviously you had absolutely no control over that. But you can't help not staying in Adam. You don't have to stay in Adam. There is a remedy. There is a cure. There is a solution to the problem. You can experience a second birth. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? The solution to the problem, as he said to Nicodemus, you remember what Jesus said, my friends? You must be born again. Nicodemus was thinking physically. Jesus is talking spiritually. So, have you been born again? I'm not asking, have you jumped back into your mother's womb again? But have you been born again spiritually? If you have, that means you're in Christ. And then God the Father looks at you with a right standing because you have the righteousness of Christ. And that's why Christ said, you must be born again. So, are you in Christ? Are you in Adam? My friends, my prayer is that every one of us would be in Adam. Let's pray. Or, sorry, in Christ. No, we don't want to be in Adam, so my prayer is that we'd all be in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you have made it possible for us to have a remedy, to have a solution to the problem of sin and, and death. We're thankful that you conquered sin and you conquered death and that Christ died and paid the penalty of sin and arose from the grave and is now our great high priest in heaven, our advocate before you. And we're thankful that his blood was shed and that atonement was made, that he was our substitute. So may we put our faith and trust in Christ alone and in nothing else. Father, help us to truly believe this, this amazing fact. May we see it as a fact. May we believe it. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's